Good morning. I want to begin my thoughts today by bragging on the church. There's probably a better word to use than bragging, but I haven't thought of it yet. I came up here yesterday morning to bring my wife and my youngest to go on a mission trip with the uh, graduated 8th graders to Little Rock. We had already sent a huge group earlier in the morning down to Mexico. We sent a huge group to Little Rock, and then there was another big group of 7th graders about to go to Central Texas. Now, while all this was going on and elders were praying on those trips... There was a big group of over 100 people in the uh, 24-7 area getting training for Royal Family Kids Camp. While that's going on, there's another big group here in this room uh, practicing for Summer Spectacular. And while that's going on, there's a big group out there at the soccer fields as all day long upwards was going along and people from this church were blessing little children all over this community. And I left here to go to a, a mobile home park in Halton City that was devastated a year ago by a flood. And several of our Bible classes, primarily our singles source class, put on a party yesterday, a big celebration for that mobile home park. And asked me to come by and give a, a presentation to a family whose four-year-old daughter had drowned in that flood. And all that was going on yesterday. And so when I got to the Saturday evening service Yesterday at 5 o'clock, I said to our guest, if you're thinking, what time do they do church on Saturday, 5 o'clock? I said, no, we've been doing church all day long. We just get together. We just get together at 5 o'clock on Saturday and at 8 o'clock and 1045 on Sunday to recharge our batteries so that we can go do church some more. And so I just want to say thank you, church, for being who you are. Now, I want to begin my thoughts today on a dilemma I had the first weekend of February. It was Super Bowl Sunday, and I had no team to root for. (laughs) Because I'm a Christian, which means that once the Cowboys are out, it really doesn't matter. But there's no way... There's no way I can root for the New England Cheater Patriots... And there's no way I can ruse for the, root for the New York Giants who are the uh, Cowboys thorn in the flesh for 48 years. I felt like I was watching the Taliban play Al-Qaeda. I wanted them both <laughs> to lose. But there was a moment late in that game when something happened that pushed me over the edge. And I began to root for one team. A play they will show as long as they have Super Bowls. You probably know what I'm talking about. But watch the screen. I want you to see it one more time. Direct snap to Manny. Back to throw. The rush. Going to be hit. Going to be sacked. No, no, we got out of it. Now he fires downfield. by Tyree. Tyree had Harrison all over him. The ball was on his helmet, but he got his other hand on it and pulled it in. Now, the week after uh, that game, Dan Patrick, well-known sports announcer, 
wrote in Sports Illustrated some of his best memories of that week. And number one was being at a restaurant on Thursday when a fan walked up to a certain young man at a table and said, Aren't you a receiver for the New York Giants? And David Tyree said, Oh no, I'm just a special teams player. And Patrick wrote, I think he will be considered a receiver from now on. Because just one moment, just one play changed his identity for a lifetime. Now, don't forget that story. We're going to come back to it. But the New Testament says something like that happens when you receive Jesus Christ. That in that moment, your identity is changed for a lifetime. Now, what we've been doing in this series is looking at some of the words used in the New Testament to describe our new identity. And last week, we looked at the word that God uses more than any other to tell you who you are. It's a startling word. It's the word saint. And if you don't see yourself as a saint, you might want to go back and listen to that message because that's how God sees you if you're in Christ. But today we want to consider a word that is just as startling. It's the word that the New Testament authors chose when they introduced themselves. They never introduced themselves as saint so-and-so. They introduced themselves with the word slave. Now, you won't read that in most of your translations because the institution of slavery is so deplorable and despicable to us that modern translators have taken that word and they have used a more palatable word, servant. The problem is there were a number of Greek words for servant and the New Testament authors knew what they were. One of the most popular was the word diakonos, where we get our word deacon. A deacon is simply a man or woman that has been asked to do a special service for their church. And they knew what those words were. But there was just one word for slave. It was the word doulos. And it is consistently the word that the New Testament writers choose when they want to introduce who they are. I'll give you some examples in Romans 1, in verse 1. Paul says, this letter is from Paul, Jesus Christ's slave, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. And most of the verses today will be from the New Living Translation because it is one of the few that will consistently translate the word like it meant in the original, slave. Philippians 1, verse 1, Paul used it of himself and Timothy. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. And it wasn't just Paul. Peter said in 2 Peter 1, 1, this letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. When you read the Revelation, John starts it by saying, I am John, God's slave, And I have received a revelation that I am supposed to pass on to all of God's other slaves. And I want to show you two more verses that are especially interesting to me. In James 1.1 we read, this letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Jude 1 we read, this letter is from Jude, 
a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now, why is that interesting? Well, because James and Jude were half-brothers of Jesus in the flesh. Mary was their mother too. They could have said this letter is from the brother of Jesus, but they don't do that. They said these letters are from the slaves of Jesus. Even Jesus' brothers called themselves his slaves. Now, why would the first Christians so consistently and so eagerly choose a word to describe themselves that most of us would consider offensive? Well, I would suggest it's because they were so grateful that Christ had made slave trading possible. You see, something cosmic and profound happened at the cross. At the cross, Jesus set me free to choose who my master would be. Now, the language of contemporary Christianity almost completely focuses on freedom. Go to any Christian bookstore, watch any Christian television programming, and the message is clear. Jesus sets us free, and that's true. He sets us free from sin. He sets us free from the law. But in the New Testament, it's not just that he sets us free from something, but that he sets us free to something. He sets us free so that we can now willingly become the bondservants of Jesus Christ. Now, we couldn't do that before the cross. This trade was made possible by his death because before the death, We were in bondage to sin, and sin had a legal claim on us, and we couldn't pay the debt. But now all of sin's claims against us have been satisfied, and we're now free to choose the destiny for which we were created. Look with me at Romans 6. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you've obeyed with all your heart the new teaching God's given you. Now you're free from sin, your old master, and you've become slaves of your new master, righteousness. I speak this way using the illustration of slaves and masters because it's easy to understand. Before, you let yourselves be slaves of impurity and lawlessness. Now, now look at this verb. Now, you must choose to be slaves of righteousness so that you will become holy. You see, the Bible's view is that every man has a master. You've got something or someone in your life to whom you take orders. And as a Christian, you get to choose who your master will be. And the early Christians saw themselves as having been set free from sin so that they could choose to be the slaves of Jesus Christ. Two more verses in 1 Corinthians 7. Remember... If you were a slave when the Lord called you, the Lord has now set you free from the awful power of sin. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you're now a slave of Christ. God purchased you at a high price. Don't be enslaved by the world. And then 1 Peter 2.16 makes it so clear. You're not slaves. You're free. But your freedom is not an excuse to do evil. You are free to live as God's slaves. Now, that seems like a hard thing to wrap our minds around. I've been set free to live as the slave of God. But that's how the early Christians understood it. 
And really, it's a liberating thing because that means I'm free now from anyone or anything else being the controlling factor of my life. Jesus alone is my Lord. See, everybody in the first century understood the word doulos, slave. And everybody understood that a doulos has to have a kurios, a master. But in your Bible, the word kurios is usually translated Lord. And so we've lost in our time something everybody in the first century understood. That when you sing, Jesus is Lord. When you stand in a baptistry and you get asked a question in front of all the crowd. Will you let Jesus be the Lord of your life? And you say, yes, everybody back then understood. You're not just confessing Jesus is Lord. You are confessing that you are his slave. Because kurios and doulos are just two sides of the same coin. And the measure of a Christian is your willingness to embrace this trade. William Booth, the man who founded the Salvation Army, came on his last visit to America and a well-known evangelist named Wilbur Chapman spent time with him and summed up the man this way. I learned from William Booth that the greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. It's not a question of who you are or what you are, but of whether God controls you. The great question for us is this. Who's the boss? And every slave knew the answer. My Lord is in charge. And because we are so far removed from the whole concept of slavery. What's happened is we have in the 21st century produced a version of Christianity that they wouldn't recognize. Where we can call Jesus Lord and have nothing about our lives indicate that we're slaves. And that's why we need to visit one of the most startling teachings Jesus ever gave. A teaching that made perfect sense to the hearers in the first century. But it's probably a little bit troubling to us. Look at Luke 17 with me. And I don't know why they translated the word servant because it's the word doulos all through the text. So I'm going to read it like it read originally. When a slave comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep. He doesn't just sit down and eat. He must first prepare his master's meal and serve him his supper before eating his own. And the slave is not even thanked because he's merely doing what he's supposed to do. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are not worthy of praise. We are slaves who have simply done our duty." And in this teaching, Jesus gives us some insight into what it means to call him Lord. What it means to surrender. 
Let me share with you three ideas. Number one, a slave surrenders the right to ownership. This is the very essence of slavery, that one person totally belongs to another person. Slaves never signed contracts. Slaves never became free agents. A slave never said, I've worked hard in the field all day. I'm going to go in and make me some supper first because it's time for me to have a little me time. Slaves were purchased to serve their master 24-7. Now this idea, which is so distasteful to most Americans, is absolutely fundamental to the identity of all Christians. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. You are owned by God. Now, an implication of that then is that you don't own anything. Every slave understood that. The house he slept in, the tools he used to work with, the clothes he wore... Even the kids he had belonged to the master. And he was accountable to use all of the master's stuff in a way that would honor the master. So Jesus told a bunch of parables about the master goes off on a trip. And when he comes back, what's the first thing he always does? He calls all the slaves in and says, tell me, how did you use the stuff I let you have while I was gone? And every slave understands that. To be a Christian is to come under new ownership. I like the story John Kenneth Galbraith told in his autobiography. The well-known writer had a housekeeper named Emily Watson. And he said to her one day, Emily, I'm very tired. I'm going to take a nap and I do not want to be disturbed. So he goes to sleep and the phone rings. It is Lyndon Baines Johnson. Wanting to talk to Ken Galbraith. She said, I'm sorry, Mr. President, but he's taking a nap. Well, I need to visit with him. Go wake him up. I'm sorry, sir. I can't do that. I'm the president. She said, yes, but I don't work for you. I work for him. (laughs) She knew who the boss was. And Galbraith says the next time he talked to Johnson, he said, I want that woman at the White House as quickly as possible. You see, too many Christians act like hired servants. And so we get this idea, hey, I've put in my time, but you know, when I go to my job, I do my job. And when I'm off the clock, my boss doesn't tell me where I can go. My boss doesn't tell me what I can wear. He doesn't tell me what I can choose for my entertainment or what kind of language I can use or what I can eat or drink. He doesn't own me. No slave ever thought that way. A slave of Christ is always on the job. You surrender the right to ownership. Second, you surrender the desire for applause. And Jesus said, slave's not even thanked because he's merely doing what a slave is supposed to do. You see, a slave has no sense of entitlement, which has become the number one value of this culture. It's why we keep lawyers so busy. 
Because we are so convinced we're entitled to everything. No slave ever thought, well now I really went above and beyond the call of duty today. That just didn't apply to slaves. This is why I get so irritated by these athletes who make gazillions of dollars and then stand in front of a camera admitting they have fathered a bunch of kids and they brag, but I pay child support. Duh! You're a dad. That's what you're supposed to do. I'm not going to give you a prize for that. What is it about our culture? We give kids awards for going to class. I thought that's what school was for. This is why golf is the greatest of all games that have ever been created. (laughs) They're going to start the U.S. Open next week. Let me give you a little U.S. Open history. Bobby Jones, one of the greatest maybe ever to play, was in the playoff for the U.S. Open Championship. Now, in golf, there's a rule that when you put your club down behind the ball, if the ball moves, even if you didn't touch it, you've changed your lie, and that's a penalty. So he hits his ball off into the rough, and he puts his club down, addresses the ball, and the ball barely moves. Nobody saw it. The marshal didn't see it. The crowds didn't see it. It didn't really affect the shot he had to hit. But he called a penalty on himself. And he lost the tournament by one stroke and later people applauded him and said you're a man of great integrity he would have none of it he said don't thank me for that that's how golf is supposed to be played I just did what I ought to do see the Christian who expects applause labors under the false assumption that their efforts have somehow obligated God That they went above and beyond the call of duty and somebody around here needs to notice and give me a little thanks. No slave ever thought that way. That's how hired servants think. Not slaves. A slave knows, I've got one job today. Please my master. That's it. Now, because Jesus is such a gracious master he does say i'm going to reward my slaves i'm going to come back and say well done good and faithful slave enter into your father's happiness i'm going to give them verbal affirmation i'm going to give them promotions i'm going to tell them to come down and have dinner with me at my table he's going to do all that for his slaves but not because they deserve it only because he's gracious and actually i got to tell you I find this to be liberating. Because one of my biggest problems is one of your biggest problems. And that is to be people pleasers. To constantly decide how important I am by the feedback I get from you. Am I doing a good job keeping you pleased with me? You see, a slave didn't have to worry about that. Slave didn't have to make the world happy. Slave didn't have to make everybody else down the street happy. Slave had to make his master happy. See, I can't keep all you happy. But the good news is that's not my agenda today. My agenda is to please my master. If I forget that, 
I'm a bad slave. Paul said, Galatians 1, verse 10. Obviously, I'm not trying to be a people pleaser. No, I'm trying to please God. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be Christ. And the word there is literally slave. A slave lives for an audience of one. Which leads right into the third thing about slaves. They surrender the option of obedience. Selected obedience is an oxymoron to a slave. No slave thinks, well, my master gave me five things to do today. I'm going to pick the two things I like, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to do all of it. A slave is available 24-7 to do what his master wants him to do. A slave starts every day with the prayer of Paul when he's on the road to Damascus and he sees a blinding light and he falls to the ground and he says in Acts 22.10, What shall I do, Lord? That is the agenda every day of a slave. What shall I do, Lord? And I think this is probably the main reason why you hardly ever hear Christians today describe themselves as slaves. Go look back on the last several hundred years of the Christian songs that have been written and find the songs that talk about how we're slaves of Christ. It'll be a short list. Because we want to treat the commandments of Jesus like a wish list. These are all the things he wishes we'd do and we'll decide which ones we feel like doing. I like what Jesus said about not being showy in your religion. I'm going to do that. But forget what he said about divorce. I'm tired of fighting for my marriage. I found somebody else. I like what Jesus said about blessing kids. We ought to do more of that. But forget that praying for your enemy part. I'm never going to forgive her for what she said. So we pick and choose which things the master told us to do we have to be serious about. Which suggests we don't have a clue what we say when we sing Jesus is Lord. We fail to see the kingdom of God is not a democracy. And Jesus does not rule by referendum. That when we say Jesus is Lord, that word doesn't mean suggester. It means master. Even Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, So why do you call me Lord when you won't obey me? Leo DeRocher one of the most famous Major League Baseball managers of all time, was asked who his favorite player was. He coached some of the greatest names in the game. He remarked, my favorite player was Dusty Rhodes, a little-known bench player. And he said, here's why. When the game's on the line and it's stressful, and I look down the bench and most of the players are averting their eyes trying not to see me, Dusty's always looking me eye to eye, tapping his bat, 
letting me know he's always available to do anything I need him to do. The church has just one creed. Jesus is Lord. Not America. Not money. Not even the church. Jesus is Lord. Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians 4. Here's what we preach. We don't preach ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that we are your slaves for Jesus. Now what if that was our message? Because I don't think most people who aren't Christians think that's our message. That's not what they hear us say. What if they heard us say two things? Jesus is Lord and we are his slaves. For his sake, we're here to serve you. I think we need to get back to that message. But to be heard, we're going to have to get back to our new identity. And so what I'm asking you to do today is pretty bold and pretty radical. I'm asking you to embrace the identity of slave. I'm asking you to make a trade. And here's why you need to do it. You see, it's no loss to have a slave for a master. You're never going to find a better master than Jesus. And here's why. Philippians 2 says, your attitude should be the same that Jesus Christ had. Though he, was not, though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. See, nobody understands surrender better than Jesus. And so he's firm. He's strong, but he's good. And you'll never find a better master than Jesus. You know what I found? Jesus is a better master of my life than I am. And so, let's go back to the story we started with. David Tyree was a very gifted athlete as a young boy. But in junior high, he met the wrong people and he started drinking pretty heavily. By the time he got to high school, he was smoking marijuana. And he abused both in college, but the fact of the matter is, if you're a very good athlete, a lot of times you get away with stuff other people can't get away with. When he was a rookie for the Giants, he almost lost the privilege of playing in the NFL because of his problems with substance abuse. He fathered a child he wasn't close to. By his own admission, his life was in a downward spiral. But his mother, a strong Christian, never stopped praying for her son. By the way, she died of cancer in December just before the Super Bowl. 
And one day, David Tyree did something he hadn't done in a long time. He picked up a Bible and started reading. He read about redemption. He read about the God who gives people second chances. He made a second very wise decision to do something he hadn't done since his little boy. He went to church. And he went back. And he listened. And he made the most important decision he could ever make. He asked Jesus to be his Lord. And since then, he's given up drugs and alcohol. Since then, he's married the mother of his child. And is learning what it means to be a good dad. David Tyree has changed his identity. Not because he caught a pass. But because he received a new master. And that's a trade. Everybody here ought to make. Let's pray about it. Father, it's hard for us to understand this teaching. We're so far removed from an understanding of, of slavery. And we live in a culture that values independence, that worships entitlement. And so, Father, we're going to need your help. We're going to need the Holy Spirit to help enlighten our darkened minds to try to grasp this very, very critical truth. What is it we mean when we say Jesus is Lord? And forgive us, God, for often choosing to live in such a way to indicate we have no clue what that word means. For living independent of His direction for picking and choosing when we will obey him and when we won't we want to embrace our true identity because God we believe by faith today that we will have a master Someone or something will control our life. And that we could make no wiser and better choice than to choose Jesus. There are some hearts here today, Father, wrestling with that very choice. Help them choose well is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Our elders and ministers are going to be back by the chapel. And when we sing these next couple of songs, I want you, if you're wrestling with your obedience to Jesus, to go back and talk to them, to confess the area where you're struggling, and let their prayer and counsel minister to you. If you've never stood in front of a crowd of people and said, Jesus is Lord, and you've never been baptized... You need to seriously consider today as the day you make that choice to trade 
masters. We're going to sing to encourage you as we stand.